Hey everyone, after more than 15 years in the business, I finally got a book published. If you want to do me the biggest favor in the whole world, please head over to MikeyOp.com and buy a copy. That's M-I-K-E-Y-O-P-P.com and the book is named Martyr and it's about psychics and the history and future of the universe. I wrote it and I think you'll love it. Hey everyone, the very beginning of this interview has a little bit of an audio issue on Maddie's end, but we fixed it a couple minutes in, so please just get through it and get to the rest of the interview because the first part is relevant and it's a great interview. Thanks. Hey everybody, this is Mike Oppenheim and you are listening to Coffin Talk, Interviews with the Living, a weekly podcast that explores how our views on death affect the way we live our life. And for those of you who are ritual listeners, you will recognize our next guest's voice, even though you've never heard her talk, because she will sound astonishingly similar to her older sisters, uh, Kate and Becky Arthur, both of which have previous episodes. However, since not all of you listen to every episode... To be fair, I'm going to let her, you know, give her own introduction and explain her relationship to them. And then that will segue, of course, into a thoughtful conversation about death and how it affects the way we live our lives. So welcome to the show. Maddie, how are you? I'm great. I'm really happy to be here. Uh, thanks for having me on. Yeah, I am uh, the youngest of nine children in a blended family. And two of my older sisters, Becky and Kate Arthur, uh, have been on your show previously. So the reason they were on the show, like, Kate is actually, like, a very, very good, close old friend of mine. Her sister, Becky, who I also know well, uh, I met, you know, again through her as we discussed on those two episodes. But um, the reason Kate had reached out to me was that, um, tragically, about two years ago, I believe, um, your father took his life. And then when I interviewed her about it, she wanted, Becky wanted to give her take and how it affected her. And then you reached out to me and said you also wanted to give your take. So I'm not trying to be presumptuous, but I want to make sure that that was kind of the, the vibe I was picking up on. Is that correct? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, he had, you know, lifelong mental health struggles that we were kind of witnessing firsthand. And so it was just the end of a really long and painful road. Um, and, you know, the beginning of a, a totally new, long and painful road. And, and then just real quick for clarification... Uh, at the time of this recording, how old are you right now? I'm 23. And uh, I'm only mentioning this because, like you said, you're one of nine, and there's like a long chain of Arthurs. And so I just want for perspective from our audience to understand that you're quite younger, which is not a knock or a plus. I'm just relating the situation. And then where are you currently living right now? Yeah, I'm, I'm the youngest of nine. I'm, I'm 16 years younger than Becky, uh, one of my closest siblings, and uh, like all of my sisters and my two brothers on my mom's side were all from Pennsylvania, but I currently live in Seattle, Washington. Okay, so you did grow up in Pennsylvania, yeah. but you worked on, like, fishing boats? Yeah, I worked in the Alaska commercial fishing industry um, in onshore processing. Damn, that's so cool. I want to do an entire podcast just on that, but this is called Coffin Talk, and we're going to stay on the topic at least to begin. So do you think that when a parent takes their life, it affects, like, all the children the same or do you think the age matters like like what factors have you thought about when it comes to that when you're trying to like rationalize how to move because you said like now a whole different experience has started so I'm kind of trying to like tug at that knot if that makes sense yeah absolutely I think you know age is a huge factor I was a junior in college when our dad took his life um and in a way I felt like and I, I think that my sisters would echo this sentiment, that we actually lost two totally different parents. And something that I, I thought about a lot and really struggled with was like this deep sense of jealousy of all of my siblings who have had so many more years with our dad um, and just kind of like those quintessential 
parent child experiences, like having our dad teach them how to drive or something like that. Um, by the time I was born, I think our dad was already greatly struggling and had been for some time. And so, you know, my experience with him as a parent, I think, was totally different than the experiences that Becky and Kate and our other siblings had. Yeah, wow. That was a very, very interesting answer and very succinct. What do you think you missed that other children get? Just that sense of, I think, like, peace and belonging that you get from your parents or or that you should get and and that, you know, so many years of media and literature have kind of painted um, parents and especially fathers to be. I mean, the memories that I have of my dad are so precious to me and I cherish them greatly, but... I did. It did take me a while to kind of come to terms with the fact that we didn't necessarily have a normal relationship and that reliance that children are supposed to have on their parents, I, I just never really could have with our dad. Yeah, I mean, that that is very relatable and understandable to me. You said the closest sisters to you are Kate and, and Becky, correct? Yeah, yeah. Okay, so like... Why, why was there a 16-year gap? I mean, was were your mom and dad, like, not getting along, or were they getting along, or were they just busy raising the other kids? Like, has that been explained to you? Do you know? Yeah, so both of my parents uh, had previous marriages and children before they got married and had me. So I'm the only child uh, to come of their marriage, and technically all of my siblings are half-siblings. Although it never felt that way. Wow, that makes so much sense. Okay, okay. <laughs> so you share the biological dad. You don't share the biological mother with them, but that doesn't matter at all. I mean, it doesn't affect any part of this interview. It's just more, I'm fascinated by like every part of family dynamics. And the reason I asked about the like, what do you think you missed is because I constantly worry about what my son thinks he is missing and what he is missing. And I know on my end what I'm unable to give him that I want to. So I'm not making this conversation all about me. I'm just seeing how like, complicate all this stuff is but um what was the state of your parents relationship at the time that your father took his life um really non-existent my parents split up when i was about four um and i had always lived with my mom primarily um, in pennsylvania and so our dad had relocated to western massachusetts where he lived until he passed away and they had not spoken in many years when our dad took his life got it what is like the most precious memory you have from your time with your father um i actually got to see my sisters over the weekend um this past weekend and i was telling them that you know when i was a little girl i would go to visit my dad in western massachusetts during the summer and it was at a time when kate and becky um, and one of our other sisters also lived in that area. And just those precious memories of going swimming in the summer with my sisters and my dad are, I mean, when I think about them, they are the happiest times of my life so far because they're just so incredibly carefree. And I mean, as a child, the world just seems so big and vibrant. And here were all these people in front of me who loved me unconditionally and loved each other unconditionally. So. I mean, just those summer memories, I think, are my favorite ones. Very cool. Very interesting. And uh, and again, I just want to point out that it's a total trip for me to hear you because you sound just like your sisters, knowing that technically half biology uh, is going into that equation. And then just also, you're very mature. <laughs> Thank you. And I'm and I'm I am stereotyping younger people, but I also was young and I remember what I was like and uh kind of how I dealt with things. Although I do have a feeling that, you know, with your childhood that probably forced you to have some maturity. But I would like to shift the conversation a little bit. And instead of asking you what do you think happens when you die, which I'm of course going to ask you, I am curious, like, 
what do you think is the purpose of life? Like as, and I'm asking, cause I, I don't get to talk to a lot of young people. But yeah, that's such a great question. And I actually give you something that on the like, your date that uh, made me kind of think about this. Um, and this, this guy that I was going out with, and that was the first time that we had ever met. We were kind of talking about how he had recently had this breakup with Destiny. Um, and the idea that your life has one singular purpose. And that really, really resounded. That really landed in my heart in a special way. Because I think growing up, I kind of always had this idea that eventually you would figure out what you were meant to do ultimately. And now I'm kind of realizing that I don't think that any of us are meant to do one thing. I think life is about the pursuit of moments that make you feel lucky to be alive. Wow, that is a great quote. Oh my God. So um, what is a recent moment that made you feel lucky to be alive? Um, I saw Starfish for the first time um, recently, and I've never seen one in real life before, but I have had this recent love affair with tide pooling, but I think that tide pooling gives you life on a minuscule scale um and just to realize that you know humanity as we know it is a gigantic thing but that there's really life and civilization and existence on all scales not just the one that we experience day to day wow i am i'm gelling so well with these thoughts these are like things i think about all the time when i'm like taking walks or i'm with my daughter and i just see like actually it was this morning i was walking and I was coming home in like pitch black at 4:45 in the morning and I just like something inside of me was like touch that tree and I started like touching it and I felt how alive it was and it reminded me of like when I did psychedelics a lot when I was younger I didn't do psychedelics a lot I that sounds like a weird phrase I did psychedelics and a lot of my thoughts were always about like nature and and believe it or not this is actually a natural segue um it seems to me like the Arthur sisters I've met are all extremely into nature. Is that something you think you inherited through your father? Absolutely. Yeah, definitely. And uh, my mother, too, she's very earthy, very connected to, you know, just that, I mean, something that all these will resonate with me. After our dad went missing, I kind of like reached out on social media to people in his neighborhood and this woman reached out to me to say you know she didn't know I was at a bar and just kind of chatted and she said that um he, she was really struck by how he was sure that you could feel and see the existence of God in the, the germination of a single seed in the garden um and that struck me so deeply, uh, and I actually ended up writing a poem about it um, that's really close to my heart, but I think that our love of nature and our love of the earth was, you know, bound to us before we were ever here as humans. Yeah. And uh, the other thing that really caught my attention when you phrased it was you specifically said the word civilization, and my job behind the scenes, um, one of my jobs, I have like six, is I index books, and so I have to like very often decide whether I'm going to use an indexing term of society or culture or civilization. And the three are like extremely different to me. But when I hear someone say civilization, it always strikes me because I think that word has like such a hefty weight to it. So like what, how sad would you be if you knew that this civilization was going to end versus how invested are you into keeping this civilization going? Oh, 
Hey, everybody. I just want to thank you so much for listening to the show. Our numbers keep growing, and we have a premium package, and it would really help us out if some of you loyal fans would head over there and sign up. You get bonus monthly podcasts, you get a book I wrote, and you also get extra essays and other content. So please head over to MikeyOp.com. That's M-I-K-E-Y-O-P-P.com, and sign up today. Yeah, I, I think, I mean, I would be sad, um, but kind of open to feeling sad about those kind of things. And so I'm always open to that an experience of grief. But I think that if our civilization were to end relatively soon, I would mostly be really thrilled and excited for whatever was next, even if I wasn't physically here to experience it. Cool. And that segues excellently into what do you think happens when you die? I have thought so much about this. And I think, like, I started thinking about this as a little kid, um, you know, just because it's really hard to imagine when you're not small, the the lack of existence or the lack of consciousness. And I remember the look of being really afraid of death and that fear has dissipated as I've gotten older. But still that curiosity, like about what's going to happen to us has not faded in any way. And I don't think it really does for anybody. But when my dad died, I really wanted to lean into an idea of disembodied consciousness, which I think a lot of religions lean into, this idea that there's a heaven and that you continue on just without your body or you continue on as some sort of like ghostly being. But I really don't think that's true. I don't think you ever continue on as a disembodied version of yourself. I think that as, as humans, we are just this highly organized vessel. And when that vessel ceases to work, you know, we don't continue on as a, a collection of thoughts or memories. We just become less organized. And so the way that our bodies are put together becomes something else entirely. And I think your consciousness goes along with that. Wow, that's an incredible answer. Um, I'm glad you write poetry because you have a good mind for connecting thoughts without like immediate um, immediate correlation, which is, I think, the whole point of poetry. I studied literature in college and stuff, and I had to take poetry. And when I say I had to, I went into it with, like, a very bad attitude, but I came out of it, like, really appreciating what it does for me. Like, just like music, it really gets me to connect dots that I wouldn't ordinarily be able to. And so I'm saying that you kind of... That answer was very poetic, and I think um, it's very sad to me that my ego just begs me to believe in, like, reincarnation and, like, my consciousness will go on. But I have to say... Every time I really get critical about it, I come to the same conclusion you do, which is uh, that doesn't really seem likely nor beneficial. Um, so that was that was a very interesting answer. So what is it? Um, some people, when they're young and they come to those conclusions, it makes them like, quote unquote, terribly existential. And I say terrible because it depresses them and it uh, makes them lose motivation, not only to live, but to even like see a point in trying to be nice to others and stuff like that. And that's not normal or abnormal. That's just the reaction I've seen a few times. Why has your reaction to it been pretty positive, at least in my estimation? Um, well, first of all, thank you. <laughs> that was a sweet compliment. I think that there was just for me a real a real lack of fear about what comes next. Um, and I see a lot of like death as part of our the job that I work, um, and I think anybody in, in animal or fish or shellfish agriculture would tell you um, is that there is a, a real like sacrifice that comes from, um, of course, the, the being that is dying so that we can 
use it as meat or as fish, but there's also, you know, an endurance about it. Something is ending, but the process itself never really ends. So I guess when my process is over, you know, there's there's something else there. Yeah, totally. And how connected are you to like animals and plants with a sense of like duty? Do you think there's a point where we are overfishing or do you believe like in animal rights to any extent? And I'm really asking this openly. There's no agenda behind it. Yeah, 100%. I I definitely do believe in animal rights. Um, It's hard to go. It's hard to kind of reconcile that because once you really personify something or really become emotionally attached to it, it makes it really difficult to, you know, carry out the, the job of ending its life. Um, and luckily, I only work in onshore processing, so it's not often that I ever actually end the life of something myself. And I do think that there is a real threat of overfishing, but I feel really grateful to be a part of the Alaska commercial fishing industry, which has you know, really invested hundreds of millions of dollars and years and years of research into ensuring that we don't ever overfish Alaska. Oh, wow. That's really great to hear because I don't know anything about that. And uh, <laughs> and I am just admitting how like, uh, you know, quintessentially American I am because I ate fish all my life until recently. And it definitely never occurred to me. And I've been to Alaska. It was um, the very last of all 50 states that I went to. And I, oh my God, I love it. I love it, love it, love it. I cannot, I'm definitely going to go back. Um and so I am fascinated by all things Alaska. Now, when you were working on these boats and stuff, did you actually ever like step on shore or are you just always like off the coast? Yeah, so I actually don't work on boats. I work in offshore processing. Oh, okay. So I work in a number of um, a number of facilities, some which are like ultra remote and have groceries and mail flown in by plane. Um, and many of them are quite old, like over 100 years old. Um, and have a lot of really rich history there. Wow. So you went to college before all this, right? I did, yeah. Okay, what did you study in college and where did you go? <laughs> I went to Penn State. Oh, wow. I have a friendly rivalry with my sister with all people who attended the University of Pittsburgh. <laughs> well, that's where I met them, so yeah. <laughs> but I studied food science and my specialty was meat, seafood, and social science. So I always knew that I wanted to work with seafood um, and there was truly no better place to do that than Alaska so when I was um, in college actually shortly after our dad's body was found uh, six days later I got on a plane to King Sam in Alaska to work my first summer in Bristol Bay. Wow that is uh, talk about making lemonade that's really cool <laughs> that's really awesome. Thank you. And actually you sort of answered the question I was about to ask you which is I was going to say do you believe in like divine intervention and like um you know like a almost predetermination so I'll, I'll kind of like twist it a little bit um it sounds to me like you've been incredibly driven did you always feel driven and were you like aware that you were driven or is it something just other people happen to start telling you and things like that? Um, I mean I, I... Like when I was a very small child, I had I had this real preoccupation and real like desire to be in college, and I always loved school as a kid. But I think that what I've been chasing all of my life was that sense of peace and belonging that I felt as a kid hanging out with my dad and my sisters, um, and I always felt that sense of peace and belonging in school settings. So I really thrived there, and I I now feel that same sense 
with the work that I do. So what made you go back to like, uh, this is a joke, mainland, like Seattle, like why, why did you not stay in these remote places in Alaska? That's a great question. Um, our company is actually headquartered here in Seattle. So technically I moved here for work, but it's also a really, it's a really amazing city. And um, in about two weeks, I will be going back to Alaska for the summer. Awesome. Very cool. Yeah. And the summers. Oh my God. I'm so jealous. Um, Yeah, actually, I have a very close friend in Seattle and I like the culture there a lot, but it is like a really big city. And it's also like very, very West Coast. Um, You know, I grew up in the Bay Area and San Francisco and Seattle to me are like the closest two cities to each other in America. Mm -hmm. So I am curious, seeing as Seattle has been making national headlines for years and years and years as like, it's not like a counterculture, but it's like a very different culture. And then you're also at an age where you're bracketed into like this new generation that everyone wants to talk about. How do you feel being young and like experiencing this like cultural shift that we're all going through? Because we we certainly are going through a shift. We don't know where it's going to end, but like things have been rapidly changing in the last like five or six years. Do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah, I definitely do. Um, I, I feel like my thoughts are like not that interesting or at all compelling, but you know, I mean, I was, I remember being like 16 when Donald Trump was elected president. And I, and even at that time, I just didn't really like have any idea of how politics, of how just the overall culture in the United States would, would change so much. Um, and especially thinking about having President Obama for really all of the formative years of my childhood, it was so different. And I really feel like it hasn't, it, it won't ever truly be the same. But I think, you know, the only thing that really worked for me in terms of processing all of that change was to remain as steady within myself as I possibly could. And that just meant trying to do tiny good things and just trying to be a tiny good person. Very cool. Um, yeah, and I always ask this question to like my guests, but normally my guests are at least thirty, and I'm I'm obsessed with your generation in a very good way, which is I'm just like hoping, you, <laughs> I'm hoping more of you do what you just said, which is like shift from. It's so easy when you're young to be full of anger at the outrage of coming to terms with what's really going on and who's pulling what strings and how they're being pulled. But I think there's like a much healthier way to get to where you got. And uh, it took me a lot longer. So I'm always like impressed because I have a feeling and I have no proof for this, that younger people are getting hipper to like uh, what you're talking about, which is like looking for places that make you feel at peace and then just being okay with that instead of like, railing against what makes you feel unpeaceful so i I really appreciate that answer thank you what would you say is the worst part of living in a really rural place where mail has to be flowing in and all that kind of stuff i don't think there's a single worst thing about it i I think it's the most amazing thing in the entire universe it just allows you to connect with the world around you and connect with the people around you really free of any like external forces there's you know really no like 24-hour news cycle you are just able to feel joy that's totally untainted by modern life no that's that's really cool i am uh entrenched in modern phoenix arizona culture uh like it or not because uh my wife and i both have our parents here and we have our young child and hopefully another one coming. And so it's just like, 
so inspiring to hear what you're saying because I definitely know my dream is once uh, kiddos leave for either college or whatever the heck is going on in their life, uh, I want to get out and go somewhere much more rural. And I'm uh, the very few times I've been to a place like what you're describing, I've felt more at peace than any other times in my life. So I do share that with you and, and feel that. Um, but I think a lot of people have no access to that and can't get there. So that's kind of sad. But I am curious, what would you recommend to people who want to dip their toe in that experience, but can't like fully commit to it yet? Like, is there a way to like, sort of like, play with it and then see if you like it first? Yeah, I think there definitely is. Um, but the Alaska commercial fishing industry relies super heavily on seasonal weather. So, you know, we're always looking for people who are willing to, like, for six weeks, just go to Alaska and work in one of the plants. Um, and it's kind of a sweet deal for the people who do it. You know, your airfare is totally covered, housing meals is all included. So it's really just a chance for you to like say goodbye to regular life for two months. That's so cool. I had one friend, he's my age, but when I met him, we were in our mid twenties and he had done what you described and uh, except he was on the actual boats mm -hmm. and I'll just never forget his like descriptions. Cause while he did have a good experience and he made oh, so much money in like a short period, yeah. he just said like, he's like, I remember like, just flipping a cigarette to light another cigarette and just like hating my life <laughs> 16 hours a day. I've definitely had those moments where like I haven't seen a fresh vegetable in like 10 days and I'm like really questioning all my life choices but then like the sun rises over the mountains but I'm like yeah this is it. That is so funny. Well, I'm, I'm very impressed by you. I'm so glad you reached out. I could just tell like your energy was awesome and I was so excited to interview you. And we book guests so far ahead now that it's like crazy because I get excited and I'm like, oh, well, you have to subdue that excitement for about two months. So you definitely lived up on my end to the potential that I saw for this interview and I'm really happy. And as you know, because you've listened to some shows, I like to let my guests uh, say whatever the heck they feel like at the end of the episode and uh, let our audience hear it. So do you have anything you want to tell everyone? Yeah, much for for having me on the show you know it's amazing it was amazing to listen to my older sisters and their episodes and so i'm so really grateful to, to be here and i wanted to say something back to one thing that you said earlier which is that you, you're worried that you are like not able to provide the like emotional support or connection or whatever it is that your child may need and i always say because you're not the first person who's brought that up to me if you are worried about those things, that's such a good indication to me that you are doing all the right things. And no matter really how your experience as a parent or your relationship with your child evolves over the years, they're always going to have those memories that they cherish so dear to their hearts and that really like shape them and guide them throughout adulthood. So, I don't know. Thank you. No, <laughs> don't say I don't know. You definitely do know. You touched me. Thank you. I, I really take a lot of strength from what you just said and uh i love this interview i loved everything you had to say and i'm always just beating on the doors and yelling to people trust this young generation they're full of good people they're full of caring loving people and you are one of them and you're proof of it so i just want to thank you again um and uh who knows maybe we'll have another arthur sister on the show i don't know or maybe we'll just have the three of you back at the same time someday um but either way thank you again for coming on the show and thank you to our listeners if you want to support us please head over to mikeyop.com and sign up for the free weekly newsletter and if you want to go the extra mile sign up for the premium package we love you we thank you for listening thank you again maddie arthur and we will see you soon